I believe all of us, at least to some degree, are on a journey of faith. Now some, maybe those online, some sitting here, have not discovered that thing that I'm calling today faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that is not just founded in facts. See, I grew up uh, I, I, was, I heard the gospel. I had heard about Jesus' death and resurrection. I had gone through you know, the, the various ceremonies that my traditional church had that I think were, were creative and good and highlighted the cross and the resurrection. And I'd been through that. I'd read about it. There were times in which I played sick to stay home from church and my mom would stay home with me and she would still read scripture to me. So I got a regular diet. Whether I liked it or not, I had a regular diet as a kid growing up in a Christian home of the scriptures and the truths. But you see, faith is more than just believing certain facts. And we're going to see this journey of faith even amongst the apostles in this chapter. And we're going to see this development and what happened in their lives till they came to this place of life-changing faith. And that's where we're headed with this. We want to embrace a faith that changes our life. But you see, my life wasn't changed until I was 14 years of age. So I share with you, I'd, been, I'd heard the scriptures, I'd heard the gospel, I'd heard about the cross, and I'd heard about the resurrection, and, and this was a conservative, Bible-believing church. So it wasn't liberal, it, it, it didn't undermine faith or undermine the facts found in the gospel and the scriptures. But I had not made a personal choice to follow Jesus. And see, that's where faith eventually should lead us in this journey of faith. And not just to embrace the gospel, but I want to include with the implications and how we walk that out. Because the resurrection didn't just save you, church. The resurrection empowers you every day to follow and live for Jesus Christ. It changes our life. But I want you to know, not everyone believes this. Many have yet to really step into this journey. They're right there at the beginning. They've kind of heard the gospel, but they have not acted upon it. Europe, for example. They call the nations or countries in Europe as post-Christian nations. You know what a post-Christian nation is? A post-Christian nation is a nation who's heard the gospel. Actually, the gospel has been proliferated, spread, preached throughout the nation, but ears have kindly, kind of grown dull to it. Yeah, you know, that's the story. That's what we've heard. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible is simply placed alongside any other nice little book with stories that try and help you. But is it true? See, post-Christian nations would say no, not really. England is one of them. I'm going to read some, a little bit of facts to you from the BBC that highlight this very fact that I'm talking to you about. Now, can I also say that not only England and those countries in Europe are considered post-Christian nations, they've heard the gospel so many times it's as if they've been inoculated to it. Now, do you follow what I'm saying? See, that's what happened to me as a kid. I've heard the gospel so many times, it eventually became irrelevant because I was, I was disconnected from that. I had not stepped into true faith that changed me. 
And so I was inoculated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is where Europe is. And church, people are saying today, that's where America is. So I'm going to read some facts to you from the BBC about England. But let me tell you this. If America's statistics don't completely reflect it, we are coming to a point where we will because eventually, unfortunately, America tends to follow suit with Europe. Isn't that sad? Should be the other way around, but it's not. Let me just share some things with you. Only 17% of all people, again, in England, Great Britain, only 17% of all people in Great Britain believe the Bible's account of Jesus' resurrection word for word. About 31% of Christians, you understand what I'm saying then? 50% of people in Great Britain don't believe it at all, not even a little bit. 25% of, again, Christians, people who call themselves Christians in Great Britain, don't believe it. That would mean almost 70%. Church, listen to this. 70% of those who call themselves Christians in Great Britain do not believe the gospel story of Jesus' resurrection that is to be taken completely literally. Let me read to you from... Uh, This article, because it doesn't just uh, present its facts and statistics, it says Reverend Dr. Lorraine Cavanaugh is the acting general secretary for Modern Church. That's a denomination, I, I guess, which promotes liberal Christian theology. She said, I want you to listen to this. I want you to now climb into how a liberal thinks, a, post, a person, a scholar, a pastor, she's a pastor of a modern church, they call it. I want you to climb inside her mind just for a moment, and just for a moment, because it gets a bit scary, but just for a moment, and I want you to kind of listen to how she thinks. And, and this isn't just her. This is how, for the most part, Britain and many in America think. I think people answering the survey are being asked, because this was a survey, you saw the percentage, heard the percentages, are being asked to believe in the way they might have been asked to believe when they were at Sunday school. We're talking about adults here. And if an adult faith requires that it be constantly questioned, it being the resurrection of Jesus, constantly questioned, constantly reinterpreted, which incidentally is very much what modern church is actually all about. Do you hear the plug there? Science, but also intellectual and philosophical thought, has progressed. Oh, this is so profound, church. It has a trickle-down effect on us just about in everybody's lives. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. This is where England is at. This isn't some stray, far-left thought. This is middle of the road. This is where most Britons live. And and if it's not where most Americans live, church, this is the direction that America is heading. We are the oddballs. We're the unusual ones who actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And when we read the Bible, 
we don't try and figure out, you know, what science and philosophy they really say. And so we don't choose what the world or the so-called experts believe and then reinterpret the scriptures regularly. No, we take the word of God. This is where we start. This is the foundation. If, if we get it wrong here, you're going to get it wrong in how you live your life. The truth of the resurrection, though, regardless of how you respond to it, regardless of the faith that you have or do not have, it still remains true. You cannot decide the fact of whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. You can choose to believe it or not, but I'm here to tell you Jesus rose from the dead. That is a fact let me just read a few scripture passages to you. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 when he was done, by the way, believed in Jesus Christ. They, they accepted the facts that Peter was sharing, and they acted on it. Something inside of them said, I'm committing myself, not to the facts, but to a person, Jesus Christ, 3,000. But this is what Peter said. Uh, uh, listen, church, this, this is like, it'll put goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. It says, this man, referring to Jesus, was handed over to you, to you Jews, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Can you say, ouch? Listen to this, verse 24, but... Oh, I love this. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep, to keep its hold on him. It was impossible, church. Jesus lay in the grave. Death had its victory but could not hold on to him. By the power of the Spirit in him, Jesus was raised from the dead. It was inevitable. God, the God of the, of the impossible, brings those things to possibility. Jesus being raised from the dead, hang on a second. Science says, right, science, that means really scientists and their worldview that dictates how they should interpret facts. Scientists say, you can't, someone who's dead can't come back to life. You might be able to resuscitate them if, it's, if it hasn't been too long. But for Jesus in the grave for three days, coming back to like, come on, really? And they rank that among one of Grimm's fairy tales, right? That's what, that's what they do. Science says, the experts say, but you know what? Jesus himself, inevitably risen from the dead. Before he, he died and rose from the dead, he said this. He was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, and, and he's, he wasn't just talking about some future time 
though he was, he was also, when you believe in him, though you are spiritually dead, you will become alive, even now on earth. Believing in Jesus, something will get a hold of you just as something, the spirit got a hold of Jesus and physically rose him from the dead. The spirit of God will get a hold of you. The Bible says he regenerates you and you come alive. That's why Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That life is being offered to us. But that life can only break into your life if by faith you accept it. Now we see a journey of faith in Luke 24 that I want to walk you through right now. Do you remember when the the ladies visited the tomb and when when they visited the tomb... They saw the stone rolled away. They enter in, and they're visited by two angels. Now, later, Luke, the the men on the road to Emmaus say that the ladies had a vision. Now, I, I don't want us to misunderstand what that word means. Yes, they had a vision, but you see, this is a this Greek word that's used here is an uncommon word translated vision. Luke is the only one who uses it. He uses it three times, twice in the gospel, this is one of them, and once when, P- when Paul is testifying in Acts 26 before King Herod, excuse me, uh, Agrippa, and he says to him when he had this on the road to Damascus, a vision, he said, I was not disobedient to the vision that I had. And that word vision is not something that takes place in the mind. That, that's generally how we understand vision. No, 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 this Greek word means a seeing. It's not something that plays in your mind. It is actually something of a supernatural origin that you literally see. So Paul, in his, on his road to Damascus, those that were with him, they saw it. They heard a noise, but they didn't see a person as Paul did, and they didn't understand what was being said as Paul did, but they still experienced it. It wasn't in their mind. It was real. This vision, it was real. And and, and I'm only taking a moment to explain this to you. This is not something that the ladies concocted in their mind. Actually, it is absolutely impossible. And scientists themselves, the experts, have demonstrated this, that it is absolutely impossible for two people to have the same dream, for two people to hallucinate the same thing or have a vision of the same thing. They, they, they just don't do it. And this is, is no exception. This, this is not a bunch of ladies just seeing or having a vision that's not actually happening that they all agree on. No, this is real. They're seeing it with their eyes. This is a fact. And they run to the apostles. They run to the apostles and they say, guys, you're not going to believe this. But we we just went to Jesus' tomb and it's empty. Guys, it's empty. We saw the grave clothes right there piled next to the, uh, piled next to where he lay. And two angels appeared to us and they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Don't you know that he had to be risen? This is what he told you. Now remember to go to Galilee because that's where he asked you to go. Go to Galilee and he's going to speak to you there. So tell the apostles this. So here we are, we're telling you. Do you remember how the apostles responded to them? 
<clears throat> okay, yeah, yeah. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate that. All right, very good. Uh, we're going to go about our disbelief, and because this is really an amazing story. Sorry, but the, the facts just don't seem to line up. Come on. The experts tell us that the dead can't be raised. Right? And it says right here that they did not believe them. And some of us, that's exactly where you are. You have heard the story over and over. You've heard the, the, the truths, the, the facts that the scripture declares that maybe people have shared with you, and, and you're just, nope, mm-mm, just don't believe it. Just, I just don't believe it. Now, that's where they started. Can I just piece something here together for you? Mary Magdalene more than likely did not enter into that room at the same time the other ladies did. Because if you remember in John 20, she tells Peter, Peter, the tomb is empty, and I don't know where they've taken him. And it's clear that she didn't see this vision of angels like the other ladies had. She more than likely approaches the tomb, looks down, oh my goodness, the tomb, and she immediately runs to tell the disciples while the others go into the tomb. Well, when she gets there, Peter hears this, And Peter's like, what? I got to check this out. Actually, John 20 tells us Peter and John ran to the tomb. And John, just being a little bit quicker, gets there first, looks inside, and he hesitates. And you know Peter. Peter looks in. I got to check this out. And in he goes. Now, I'm, I'm ducking down because in those tombs, they were about four feet high. You know, a lot of pictures show Jesus standing at the tomb, and and the entrance to the tomb is about seven or eight feet high, and he's going like this, and okay, technically that's not what they look like. You actually had to bend down to go through them, and the tomb is empty, and Peter is just like, what? And Luke tells us he walked away wondering what on earth happened, because he has not yet heard about the vision of the angels saying why do you look for the dead among the why do you look for the living among the dead? He doesn't know Jesus has been raised. Later, though, and we read this, Peter encounters the risen Christ. And now you read the right there in, in chapter 24, it says, follow me. It says right there in verse 34, and saying, it is true. To the, those who came to Emmaus, they described their, the, their experience, and they say, the Lord has risen. They get it now, church. The Lord has risen. He has risen and has appeared to Simon. Peter's testimony bears this out. Jesus appeared to him personally. Now, in John 20, we we find that Mary Magdalene actually was the first one that Jesus appeared to. Then, Peter has the very same encounter with the resurrected Christ. More than likely, shortly after, he visited the tomb. Changed his life. He came to the conclusion, I'm going to believe the facts. Jesus had to have been raised from the dead. Now, I want us, between these two incidences, I want us to look at this, these two guys on the road to Emmaus. They're depressed. They're despondent. They have no joy. They've been robbed of the joy because they had a hope. You know what that hope was? Jesus. He would be the conqueror for Israel. He would lead them into victory over the Romans. There would be worldwide peace. 
He would establish a physical kingdom there on earth. And he would reign forever and ever. As Isaiah 9 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And they understood the kingdom to be a physical kingdom. You've heard me preach this before. But the only person who really got it that it was a spiritual kingdom was the thief on the cross today. When you enter into your kingdom, would you remember me? He got it. A thief. And here, here, here's the, people, the, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. They, they'd heard the gospel. They'd, to some degree, walked with Jesus. They're not a, d- apostles. But they had heard Jesus preaching. I'm sure they had seen some of his miracles, maybe many of them. But how disappointing. He died. It's now the third day. For Jewish thought, the third day is when the Spirit departs. There is no coming back. Though, John tells us, in John 11, that it was the fourth day and God rose Lazarus from the dead. So here they are. They're discouraged. They had just been robbed of their hope. They may well have seen their friend Jesus dying on that cross, pulled off, put into the tomb. It was like an exclamation mark at the end of the sentence, he is dead. And on this road, they're sharing this with Jesus. Now, they don't recognize him. And it's because the Father kept their eyes from seeing straight, if you will. But not just physically, but spiritually, they could not see what Jesus was saying. Because as Jesus is walking with them, it says right here, after they tell their story about all of these things, and then they conclude with, oh my goodness, uh, that some, it says, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. What is that? Their vision of angels. Jesus had raised from the dead. What? Now, come on, really? The apostles didn't believe him. I'm sure the two on the road to Emmaus didn't. And this is, this is what Jesus says to them. I'm sure Jesus is so compassionate. But he looks at them and he says, how foolish you are. I don't know about you, it's a little bit hard for me to receive it when someone looks at me and says, Mike, you are so foolish. (laughs) Have you ever had someone walk up to you? I can't remember that, but I can tell you what, I'm not sure I would take it real well. You are so foolish. Maybe some person who didn't believe in God, Mike, you're following Jesus, you're so foolish. You know, that's kind of a put down. But Jesus is saying, you've chosen the fool's way in all of this. And then he goes on to say, How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then he takes them from Moses all the way through the Old Testament, including the Psalms. And he touches on numerous prophecies concerning the Messiah. And not just concerning the Messiah, but specifically the fact that he would die and then be raised from the dead. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 12 verses that talk about this. And it, towards the end, it talks about him seeing the light of life. That he, in essence, we could interpret, he was raised from the dead. So, and, it, and it's throughout the Old Testament. Prophecies pointing to Jesus, over 300 of them. Many of them talking about his death and his resurrection. 
And so Jesus walks them through this. And now they finally arrive in Emmaus. They're sitting down. They're eating their meal. And Jesus blesses it. And there was just something about the way he prayed. It was like, hello. And suddenly their eyes were opened. Jesus is gone, and, but they recognized him. No sooner do they recognize him, he's gone. I am sure that he completely disappears. And they say this. How interesting. That even while he was talking with us on the road, explaining to us from the scriptures, our heart was burning within us. And so in this journey of faith, maybe initially we just completely reject it, but now we've, now we've heard it, now we're considering it, and now we're thinking, well, maybe, maybe, and we're at this place where when someone shares these truths, when you hear a gospel message, when you read the scriptures yourself, there is something that is burning in your heart. You're not ready to accept it yet. Jesus really raised from the dead? Mm. Science says, right? But there's something that's burning in your heart. And I'm going to tell you this right now. That that burning is not just there for you to receive the facts, but for you to act on the facts. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not simply a fact to be believed in. We don't just believe Jesus We believe in Jesus, and it's that, that type of faith that reaches out and surrenders, not just to the facts, but to Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is what saves us, by grace, through faith. Not by works, so that no one can boast. By grace, through faith, you are saved. You are transformed by the cross and the resurrection. You now enter into this dynamic relationship the two on the road to Emmaus, uh, on Emmaus, their hearts were burning. There was, they were at that place in which they were ready to accept the facts. But do I really follow Jesus? So Jesus then appears to them, appears to all of the 11, but there were more than just the 11 in this room. The very day that he raised from the dead, he had so far appeared to the ladies Excuse me, the angels appeared to the ladies, and so far he had appeared to Mary Magdalene, then to Peter. That's it. And now here. And it says right there in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, I'm going to tell you, just as Jesus, when he was sitting at the table in Emmaus, suddenly disappeared, he now reappears out of thin air, as it were. Right there, he suddenly appears before. That would freak me out, church. If, if I'm a disciple, I'm, whoa, I would be terrified. Just, and that's exactly how they receive this. But Jesus says to them, peace be with you, because he understands they're like freaking out. Peace, <laughs> take it easy, guys. Peace. Now, why does he say this? It tells us in the next verse, verse 37, they were startled and they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, the Greek word here is pneuma, which you may remember, that's a word for spirit. So their initial impression was that, yeah, this is Jesus, but it's only his spirit. And they had certain kind of odd beliefs about spirits, or we would say ghosts. 
I, I, mean, I grew up with Casper the Friendly Ghost. Um, later on, when my wife and I were raising our kids, we decided, you know what, nah, Casper, you're not going to be in our home, sorry. But I, that's where I grew up with. There's no sheet over Jesus, just so you know. They, they didn't look at him, they, you know, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Oh my goodness, this is a ghost. No, this was a spirit. They saw Jesus, but they would believe at that moment that it was just simply Jesus' spirit, not a physical body. So now Jesus is saying, hey guys, don't, don't freak out. Peace be with you. Jesus feels it's incumbent upon me. This is important. You need to realize, I haven't just been raised spiritually. My body hasn't, just, I mean, my spirit just hasn't been raised. Because church, that, that was common teaching, that your, your spirit didn't just stay in the grave. You can read throughout the Old Testament, even Ecclesiastes, where it says our spirits rise. Okay, well, we just, we're seeing Jesus' spirit. This is kind of freaky. No, no, no. This is me. This is my body, not just my spirit. I mean, here, touch me. Give me something to eat, guys. Jesus is not afraid to prove to them that he was physically raised from the The tomb is empty, church, not just because it got stolen and his spirit just kind of rose up and appeared to them mystically. No, his body came to life and it was completely changed. He has a resurrected body that we too one day will have. And so they're, they're looking at this, but they can't believe it. So Jesus says, here, give me something to eat. I'm going to prove you. I'm not, it's not just a spirit. Now, here's something I want us to, to see here. I want you to see this. He realizes they're struggling. It says here, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, okay, give me something to eat. They still didn't believe it. In essence, they were saying, Jesus, alive? Really? No, 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 no. This, <laughs> this is too good to be true. Too good to be true. Can't happen. Has God ever placed something before you, and, it's, and maybe it's a financial provision, and it's like, I, I don't know what to do with this. It's too good to be true. Maybe it was a promotion that you suddenly got, that you've been praying for, and you don't know whether to believe it or not. You just got the news from your boss. You've been promoted, and it's like, this is just too good to be true. Or maybe you've been praying for something, and the very reason why you doubt God will do it is because you're thinking that. What I'm praying for, that's, that's just too good for God to do. Have you ever been there? You want to have faith, but you don't. And what you're really doubting, you're not, see, you're not doubting that God can do something. You're kind of like me many times, in which I believe God can do something, but is God really so good that he would do that something for me? For joy and excitement, they still didn't believe. Ah, too good to be true. I'm going to come back to that. So what does Jesus do? It says here, verse 45, then he opened their minds 
so they could understand the scriptures. And he began to show them, just like he did with the two on the road to Emmaus, he began to show them and prove to them that Jesus, the Christ, not just that he did rise, but listen to this. If you go back to, what what verse is it there? Uh, Verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? You see, when you understand that Jesus had to die on the cross for you, you come to this place where you don't just believe the facts, but you, this becomes personal now. See, Jesus had to die on the cross, and he had to rise from the dead. Can I just say that most people who have been inoculated with the gospel. And, and that's no fault on the part of those who have shared the gospel with them. That is no part, that is no fault on God's part that has led them to read the scriptures and they've just chosen not to believe it. They are at this place where faith has not become personal. They're at this place where they've they've heard the facts, but when it comes to me truly believing in him. They say no. Jesus told them, you know what? In essence, most people think that God can just forgive sins because his nature is to love, and of course, he wants to forgive people, right? I mean, that's the way you and I are. We we love people. We want to forgive them. It can be hard sometimes, church. Can you say amen to that? It can be hard. Amen. It can. But we know that we're supposed to. And so because God begins to fill us with the love for someone, we forgive them. But you see, God's forgiveness is so different than that. God's forgiveness of your sins is more than just doing it because he loves you. Because in the grand scheme of things, you, you are not allowed to get off the hook when you sin. Something has to happen. Specifically, someone out here has got to get punished. If you sin... That sin has to be punished. God just can't wink at it and pretend it's gone and kind of sweep it under the carpet. You've heard my story. When I would walk in with my kids, and I would, you know, I expect the room to be clean, and I would be amazed. Wow, kids, the room is clean. And then I would open, you know, I would start closing the door, and behind the door, that's where they tuck their clothes. I'd look under the, under the bed, and sure enough, that's where they slid the games. I'd open the closet, and oh my goodness, I won't even begin to describe what I saw in there. But the room was clean, great. And, and this is how many times we are kind of just sweep those truths under the carpet, and God is challenging us, no, I want you to embrace this. Jesus, God the Father, could not just sweep the sin under the carpet. The, the sin, it had to be dealt with. That's why Jesus died. Do you see this? If he did not die for your sin, because he loved you that much, you would not be able to sit here this morning with sins forgiven, if you've even chosen to believe in him or not. It wouldn't be able to, be, it wouldn't be able to happen. He died on the cross. His blood was shed for you because if it wasn't, that would have to happen to you, except you would be punished forever and ever and ever. You would never be able to be punished enough for your sin. That sounds so wicked, but it's only because we as fallible human beings can never understand the offense of my sin upon an 
infinitely holy God. It is beyond our understanding because his holiness is without limit. His holiness has been infinitely offended by my white lie. And we can think, well, what's the big deal? Well, you know what? It is because that sin has so offended this infinitely holy, almighty God that even that sin can never be in his presence. You cannot have fellowship with him just for that reason, that one white lie. That one white lie has got to be taken care of, removed. And how is that going to happen? Enter the cross. You see, Jesus, this is personal, church. Jesus died for you. You see, Jesus went to that cross because he loved you. And he said, I want to die. I want to die for you, Cole. I want to die for you, Angelo. I want to die for you, Madeline, for you, Meredith, for you, Julianne, and Marla. I want to die for you. I want to take care of those sins. And the Father placed the sins, your sins, on his son, Jesus. And Jesus was punished by separation from his Father. And I don't completely understand that. Wow. He suffered that separation that we will never have to be able to. He suffered that for you. This gets personal, church. You see, by Jesus saying that the Messiah had to do that, we are now, by believing it, not just saying, oh, those are nice facts, those are true facts, but this is personal. Jesus had to die for you, had to die for you but he also had to rise for you. He had to prove that he, as the Son of God, having died for sins, can now triumph over sin and death. And without both of those, the cross and the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no ability for the Holy Spirit to not just forgive your sins, but now regenerate you and bring you, a dead person, spiritually dead, to life. Can't happen. So this becomes very personal. When I was 14, I understood this at least to enough degree where I said, you know what? I I am so wearied in my spirit of playing this game. See, I I believed the truths kind of halfway, but in that day, when I was reading through that literature that my brother gave me, I began to realize I am still outside of God's everlasting plan of salvation. I've never experienced this life-changing event in which Christ washes me clean and makes me alive. And that was the day I made to make faith. I chose to make faith personal. And I, I remember saying, Jesus, I am giving you my life. I'm not just choosing to believe that the gospel is true. I had already believed that. I believed the facts. Now, I want to have a relationship with you, Jesus, the one that you had to die and rise from the dead for me. And that day, I made it personal. And that day, Jesus took a hold of me, and he changed me. And many of you have a testimony to this effect that you believed in Jesus Christ and he changed you. And I'm not saying that you don't wrestle with with sin anymore. But I am saying that he has changed you. And I'm going to conclude with this. And this is the last step of faith. 
And this is a faith. It, it doesn't just change me when I gave my heart to Christ. It forever changes me. And this is the continued journey that all of those who follow Jesus are on. All of you. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are on this journey in which God is teaching you to continue to believe. And this is where you don't just say, you know, I, I'm going to believe that God can do this. But I am now, because faith is personal, I'm going to believe as I'm praying that God, because he loves me, can do this for me. Have you heard a testimony of how God provided financially for someone? And you just thought, wow, that would be so neat if God would do that for me in my situation. And God, that we, if you could... You pray it a couple of times. It doesn't happen. You're coming to the point where the creditors are going to start calling. And it's like, God, oh well. And you're stuck. You, in essence, believe, you know what? I, I agree that God can. It's just that right now, to be honest, this is, this is what's going through your mind. I'm not sure he will want to do that for me. Now, church, I have been there. And I would imagine that all of you have been there. And you're in a darkness, so to speak. And by darkness, I don't mean you're lost. You know Jesus. I'm speaking to you who do know Jesus. But you're just at that point where, as Jesus said to those who came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is your hour in which darkness reigns. But understand this, it is only an hour. And this is where you feel you're, you're kind of trapped and, and your back is pressed up against the wall and you're praying, God, I need you to come through. But God hasn't come through. And you're coming to a conclusion. I'm going to challenge that conclusion. But you're coming to a conclusion, well, maybe God is willing to do it for other people, but I guess he's not willing to do it for me. That is not true. Listen to me. God's love for you is so vast, so deep. Church, he longs. He longs to step in and defend you. He longs to come in and rescue you. And I can't tell you how many times God has challenged me. At the end of the month, God, finances aren't here. You've heard many of these stories that I've shared with you. And that is where the rubber meets the road with faith. And I've had my brother, Mike Jeffords, challenge me. He was my, one of my employees at the time. And I'm just thinking, Mike, I needed this much money to write up these cars on the lot. I needed this much. And Mike, there's only this much. And I just stopped. I'm not going to conclude. I don't want to just say, I guess God hasn't provided. But Mike knew what I was concluding. And he just looked at me and says, Mike. Over the last several months, hasn't God done something? <laughs> what am I supposed to say to that? Uh, yes, Mike, you are so right. Yes, he has. And he looked up at me and he says, so why can't he now? Now, I could give a good argument because, Mike, I mean, look at this. The fact is there's not enough work here. The business isn't going to make enough. Okay, I'm looking at the facts. So he said, well, Mike, maybe we should pray. 
and, and there's just something that's being crucified in me. This younger man is right, and I'm his pastor at the time, and his pastor's not getting it, and I'm struggling. And I know God can, but will he do it for me that day? And I walk in, and I say, yeah, Galen, here's, here's the list. And the first thing out of Galen's mouth is, Mike, did you see the three cars in the service drive through And I go out there, and I write up the work, and no lie, church. It was, it, I totaled it all up. It was $5 over the projected the amount that I, I needed, $5 over. So God gave me a little slush fund there, right? <laughs> God, God is just good this way. But I want you to know this, that if in his sovereign purposes he withheld that blessing, he didn't, he came through, but if he chose to withhold it, can I say this in faith? that he had a greater purpose. I, don't, I wouldn't have known what that was. I'm kind of in a situation right now. I've, I've not seen God's miraculous provision, but if it doesn't come, it is only because he has a greater purpose, and I can be excited about that. Okay, provision, if, if that's not your goal, then you've got a greater goal in mind. Woo, yes, amen, church? We, this walk is by faith. It is a journey. And I'm just going to call you, church, to that faith. And if you're online and you have yet to believe in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and made it personal and chosen to trust in him, I'm going to challenge you, do it today. Do it today. Step out in faith. Believe in him. We're going to close in prayer right now. What a great opportunity for you to come to that conclusion. You know what? I'm, I'm just done with all of this trying or just believing in facts, I'm gonna make it personal and believe in Jesus and surrender this heart to him. Let's do that. Could we have the lights? The band is gonna take the stage. We're gonna close in a, a song right now. But I want us, if you, you can either kneel where you're at right now, because I think this sermon applies to every single one of us. Whether you have yet to place true, genuine, saving faith in Jesus Christ or not. And if you haven't, do that today. But if you have and you just kind of feel this darkness settling in, I'm going to encourage you it's only an hour. God is going to come through. The resurrection happened, the dawn broke and cast out the darkness. Can you believe that, church? Father, we just come boldly before you. You are so good. Your word is true, regardless of what experts say. And we today have chosen not just to believe in the facts, but in the person that died for me and rose from the dead for me. Spirit of God, I pray for those who have not yet entered into that amazing, covenant relationship with you. May they do that right now. Spirit of God, stir their hearts. Open their minds. Let them see and understand these truths and who Jesus is for them. And change them, God. By the power of your resurrection, I know you can do it. You did it for me. You've done it for so many of us. Do it for them right now as they're reaching out in faith and saying, God, I, I surrender to you. This is personal. Change them, God. Wash away their sins. 
May your resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead come in and change them. And Father, for those of us, we've been changed by the power of that gospel. But today, we're in need. We're in need to see that same resurrection power displayed in my situation. Whatever need that is, a broken relationship, the ability to forgive that's so hard, a financial need, a relationship that's been broken, a marriage that's on the rocks. God, make this resurrection personal for us right now. We submit to you, God. throughout this auditorium. Can you just do that? Can you just submit to him right now? God, I want your ways in my life. And I'm wrestling and I just ask God, settle my heart. Peace be with you, Jesus says. And invite him to have complete control. We do that right now, Father. We choose to trust, to believe. Thank you, God. Step in now and change these situations for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.